They can do nothing with the people, but are worthily mocked. Although they are bold, yet they have no gravity. Therefore their doctrine cannot be received. Those that are called to fill offices in the church of God must strive so much the more to do well, and endeavor to serve God and the people of God faithfully. But nowadays the wicked seem to bear the sway, before whom the world, as it were, trembles. Thus we see that things are much out of order among us. Where is our liberty at the present day? Not in the faith, but in all wickedness. Among those that are hardened and past all shame, we see good men oppressed, who dare not speak in their own defense. If a man reprove a sin and go about to redress matters and set them in order, he is beset on all sides by the wicked. We see not many that trouble themselves to maintain a good cause, for every man betrayeth the truth. We suffer things to go as evil as they can. These are the days spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Righteousness and justice are hunted out from among us, and there is no man that hath zeal enough to set himself against wickedness. It may well seem that we have conspired to foster wickedness and bring it to full maturity. The wrath of God is kindled against us. All things are out of order. Those that walk as becometh Christians and labor to serve God purely are marked out as enemies, and men seek to trample them underfoot. On the other hand, we see the wicked do what they list. They act as wild beasts. Yet men stand in fear of them, and this liberty that is given them maketh them the more hardened. When we see such disorder, have we not reason to sigh and be ashamed of ourselves, knowing that God doth not rule at all among us, but that the devil hath full possession? Shall we boast that we have the gospel? It is true, his word is preached among us, but do we not see that it is contemned, and that men make a mock of it? But let them flatter themselves in hardening their hearts against God, yet notwithstanding, this doctrine will continue, and will be preached for a witness against us in the latter day, unless the Lord comes speedily and reform us. St. Paul writeth these things to Timothy, that if he tarry long before he come, he may know how to behave himself in the house of God. Here St. Paul exhorteth Timothy, and in his person all the faithful, to walk warily and carefully in conformity to the spiritual government of the church. For the house of God, if he dwell therein, is the upholder of the truth. Therefore, it is no trifling matter to be called of the Lord to serve him in the office spoken of by St. Paul. We must beware and fail not seeing God bestoweth upon us the honor of governing his house. Yea, that house wherein he hath his abode and will make known his majesty, which is, as it were, a closet where his truth is kept, that it may be maintained and preserved in the world. If the matter stand thus, have not those whom God hath thus honored great occasion to be watchful and to endeavor to execute the charge committed to them? Thus we see St. Paul's meaning. 
But before we go any farther, it will be necessary to put aside the impudency of the papists who abuse this text in order to establish their own tyranny. For if they can once set up the Church of God, they think they have won the field. But they should first prove that theirs is the Church of God which is so difficult a matter for them to do that the contrary is evident. And why so? Because St. Paul saith the church is the house of God. They have driven our Lord Jesus Christ out of doors so that he reigneth no more among them as ruler whereto he was appointed by the Father who requireth that we should do him homage submitting ourselves wholly to his doctrine. Do the papists suffer Jesus Christ to govern them purely and peaceably? Nay, I am sure they do not. They coin and stamp whatever they think proper, and whatsoever they decree is taken for articles of belief. They mingle and confound the doctrine of the gospel with notions devised by themselves, so that we may easily see it is not God's house. Otherwise, Jesus Christ would not be banished therefrom. Moreover, St. Paul addeth, the church must uphold the truth. But we see in these times that it is oppressed by the tyranny of the Pope, where there remaineth nothing but lies, errors, corruption, and idolatry. Seeing this is the case, we may well conclude that there is not the true church of God. But we will go farther. It was not the meaning of St. Paul as the papist imagine that the church cannot err because it is governed by the Holy Ghost and that whatsoever they think good must be received. But on the contrary, St. Paul observes that the church is the upholder of the truth because God will have his truth preached by the mouth of men. Therefore he hath appointed the ministration of his word, that we might know his will. For God useth this means, that men may know his truth and reverence it from age to age. This is the reason why the church is called a pillar. The papists endeavor to bury the doctrine of the gospel when they say the church cannot err. Let us consider, say they, that God will inspire us. Yet in the meantime they leave the word of God thinking they may wander here and there without committing evil. And why? Oh, the church cannot err. But on the other hand, let us see upon what condition our Lord hath honored his church. St. Paul informeth us that he doth not bind us to devise what we think good, but he holdeth us tied and bound to his word. As it is said, I have put my words in thy mouth and have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. Isaiah 51, 16. How is it that God promises that he will reign in the midst of his people? He doth not say because he inspireth them that they have leave to coin new articles of faith. No, no. But he saith he will put the words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the mouths of such as must preach his name. For that promise was not made for the time of the law only, but is proper for the church of Christ, and shall continue to the end of the world. Thus we see how 
how the church must be the pillar to bear up the truth of God. God will not come down from heaven, neither will he send his angels to bring us revelations from above, but he will be made known to us by his word. Therefore, he will have ministers of the church preach his truth and instruct us therein. If we attend not to these things, we are not the church of God, but are guilty, as much as lieth in us, of abolishing his truth. We are traitors and murderers. And why so? Because God could maintain his truth otherwise if he would. He is not bound to these means, neither hath he any need of the help of men. But he will have his truth made known by such preaching as he hath commanded. What then would become of us? If we should leave off this preaching, should we not thereby endeavor to bring this truth to naught? It is said the gospel, as it is preached, is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth. Romans 1, 16. And how so? Is it because God hath no other means but by the voice of men in this sound that vanisheth away in the air? No, no, but yet he hath appointed this means to the end that when we are restored by his grace, we may attend to the hearing of his word with all reverence. Then shall we feel that his doctrine is not vain and unprofitable, but hath its effect, and is of such efficacy as to call us to eternal life. For St. Paul saith, Faith cometh by hearing, Romans 10:17, And we know it is faith that quickeneth our souls, which otherwise would be helpless and lost. Thus let us mark well St. Paul's meaning, whereby we may know how impudent and beastly the papists are to claim this text in order to establish their tyranny, which is entirely contrary to the meaning of the apostle. But it is not enough to reprove the papists. We also must be edified by the doctrine contained in the text. Therefore, first of all, those that have charged to preach the doctrine of the gospel must take heed to themselves. And why so? Because they are set in God's house to govern it. If a man do any one the honor to put the rule and government of his house and goods in his hands, ought he not to conduct himself in such a manner as to please the one who committed this trust to him? If a prince make a man overseer of his household, is he not bound to do his duty faithfully? So the living God appointeth those that must preach his word in his house and temple. He will have them govern his people in his name and bear the message of salvation, seeing they are called to this high station. What carefulness and humility ought there to be in them? Therefore, let those that are appointed ministers of the word of God know that they have not only to do with men, but that they are accountable to him who hath called them to this high office. Let them not be pulled up with the honor and dignity of their station, but know that they shall be so much the less able to excuse themselves if they walk not uprightly, and that they commit horrible sacrilege, and shall have a fearful vengeance of God prepared for them if they labor not to serve him as they ought. 
First of all, we are exhorted to do our duty. God, having honored us who were so unworthy, we ought to labor on our part to fill the office whereunto we are called. When the church is called the house of the living God, it ought to awaken us to walk otherwise than we do. Why do we sleep in our sins? Why do we run into wickedness? Do we think that God does not see us, that we are far out of his sight and from the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? Let us remember that the word of God is preached to us, that God dwelleth among us and is present with us, as our Lord Jesus Christ saith, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Matthew 18:20. And we know, as it is said, that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2, 9. So then, however oft soever the devil attempts to rock us to sleep and tie us to the vanities of this world, or tempt us with wicked lust, we ought to remember this sentence and set it before our eyes, that God dwelleth in the midst of us, and that we are his house. Now we must consider that God cannot dwell in a foul place. He must have a holy house and temple, and how? Oh, there is no difficulty in setting out ourselves finally that all the world may gaze at us. But God taketh no pleasure in all these vanities of the world. Our beautifying must be spiritual. We must be clad with the graces of the Holy Ghost. This is the gold and silver. These are the precious stones spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he describeth the temple of God. Chapter 60, verse 6. Seeing God is so gracious as to have his word preached among us, let us live in obedience to his divine commands, that he may reside with us and we be his temple. For this cause let us see that we cleanse ourselves from all our filthiness and renounce it that we may be a fit place for God's holiness to dwell in. If we attend to these things, we shall reap a great joy, seeing our Lord joineth himself to us and maketh his residence in our souls and bodies. What are we? There is nothing but rottenness in us. I speak not of the body only, but more particularly of the soul, which is still more infected. And yet we see the Lord will build us up, that we may be fit temples for his majesty to reside in. We have great occasion to rejoice by reason of this text, and ought to strive to obtain the pureness which is required by the gospel, because God will have us joined to him and sanctified by his Holy Spirit. Our text says the church of God is the pillar and ground of the truth. God is not under the necessity of borrowing anything from man, as we before observed. He can cause his truth to reign without our help. But he doth us this honor, and is so gracious as to employ us in this worthy and precious calling. He could instruct us without our hearing the voice of man. He could also send his angels, as he did to his servants in ancient times. But he calleth and gathereth us together in his church. There is his banner, which he will set up among his flock. This is the kingly scepter, whereby he will have us ruled. 
Therefore God hath shut up his truth in the scriptures, and will have it preached and expounded to us daily. For when St. Paul speaketh of the truth, he meaneth the doctrine of salvation, which God hath revealed unto us in his word. The apostle saith, the doctrine of God, which is the incorruptible seed, whereby we are born anew to everlasting life, is the truth. This is set forth in Colossians 1, 5, John 16, 13, and John 17, 17. St. John often speaketh of the gospel by calling it the truth, as if he should say, Without it we know nothing, and whatsoever we can comprehend is vain, so that this is the only sure foundation upon which we can rest. And indeed, what would it profit us if we knew all other things and were destitute of the knowledge of our God? If we know not God, I say, alas, are we not more than miserable? But as God hath imprinted his image in his word, it is there he presenteth himself to us, and will have us to behold him, as it were, face to face. Second Corinthians 3 and 4. Therefore, it is not in vain that St. Paul giveth this title to the preaching of the word of God, namely, that it is the truth. By this means he maketh himself known to us. It is also the means of our salvation. It is our life, our riches, and the seed whereby we become the children of God. In short, it is the nourishment of our souls by which we are quickened. Therefore, let us remember that St. Paul saith, The truth is maintained among us by the preaching of the gospel, and men are appointed thereunto. First of all, we are miserable, as I before observed, if we know not God. And how shall we know Him? Unless we suffer ourselves to be taught by His Word, we must learn to seek for this treasure and apply all our labor to find it. And when God is so gracious as to offer it to us, let us receive it as poor beggars starved with hunger. When it pleaseth Him to bestow such a benefit upon us, let us withdraw ourselves from worldly matters, that we may not despise His inestimable blessings. Seeing the truth of God cannot reign among us unless the gospel be preached, we ought to esteem it highly, knowing that He otherwise holdeth Himself afar off. If these things were observed as they ought to be, we should see more reverence for the doctrine of the Word of God. In these days we can hardly tell what the word church meaneth. It is true men boast that the gospel is preached and that there is a reformation according to the word of God. But while they use this word church, they know not what it means. Some say they believe there is a universal church, but they speak in language which they do not understand. Such are the papists, who are so ignorant of the word church, being bewitched after the traditions of men, and bound by their tyranny, that they cannot understand it. Neither dare they inquire what the church of God is. They have their foolish devotions, to which they are so much given, that they cannot be brought from them to the right way of salvation. 
has for us. We have the word of God, but we hardly know how to maintain it. We see what contempt there is cast upon it when it is preached among us, and how it is set at naught, every man being his own teacher. Many are glutted, as it were, with the gospel, and think they know more than is necessary. They know so much that they become sensible of their own condemnation. Thus they shall be twice guilty, because they have once tasted the heavenly gifts, and are now such contemners of the word of God, we plainly perceive that they cast off all honesty, reverence, and religion, and would be content to have God unknown among them. We ought to be greatly ashamed, seeing God has so enlightened us that we give ourselves to such wickedness and cause the gospel to be evil spoken of among the ignorant and unbelievers. If we knew how to profit by what is contained in this place, we should have great reason to rejoice, seeing God will have his truth maintained by the means of preaching. There is nothing in men but wickedness, and yet God will use them for witnesses of his truth, having committed it to their keeping. Although there are few that preach the word of God, yet notwithstanding this treasure is common to the whole church. Therefore we are keepers of the truth of God, that is to say of his precious image, of that which concerneth the majesty of the doctrine of our salvation and the life of the world. When God calleth us to so honorable a charge, have we not great reason to rejoice and praise his holy name? Let us remember to keep this treasure safe, that it be not profaned among us. St. Paul speaketh not only to instruct those that are called to preach the gospel, but that we may all know what blessings God hath bestowed upon us when his word is preached in its purity. Our salvation is a matter of great importance and we must come to it by means of the gospel. For faith is the life of our souls. As the body is quickened by the soul, so is the soul by faith. So then we are dead until God calleth us to the knowledge of his truth. Therefore we need not fear, for God will adopt us for his children if we receive the doctrine of the gospel. We need not soar above the clouds. We need not travel up and down the earth. We need not go beyond the seas, nor to the bottomless pit to seek God. For we have his word in our hearts and in our mouths. God openeth to us the door of paradise when we hear the promises that are made to us in his name. It is as much as if he reached out his hand visibly and received us for his children. God sealeth this doctrine by the signs which are annexed to it, for it is certain that the sacraments have a tendency to this end, that we may know that the church is the house of God in which he is resident and that his truth is maintained thereby. When we are baptized in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are brought into God's household. It is the mark of our adoption. Now, he cannot be our father unless we are under his divine protection and governed by his Holy Spirit. As we have an evident witness in baptism and a greater in the Lord's Supper, that is, we have a plain declaration that we are joined to God and made one with him. 
for our Lord Jesus Christ showeth us that we are his body, that every one is a member, that he is the head whereby we are nourished with his substance and virtue, as the body is not separate from the head. So Jesus Christ showeth us that his life is common with ours, and that we are partakers of all his benefits. When we behold this, is it not enough to make the truth of God precious to us? Is it not a looking glass in which we may see that God not only dwelleth among us, but that he also dwelleth in every one of us? God, having made us one with our Lord Jesus Christ, will not suffer us to be separated from him in any way whatsoever. Therefore, when we have this inestimable honor conferred upon us, should we not be ravished, as it were, and learn more and more to withdraw ourselves from the corruptions of this world and truly show that it is not in vain that the Son of God will have us belong to him? How are we made one with our Lord Jesus Christ? By being pilgrims in this world, passing through it as true citizens of heaven. St. Paul saith, Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Ephesians 2.19 When he exhorteth us to withdraw from all wicked affections, he calleth us to our Savior Jesus Christ, who is our life, who is in heaven, must we not then take pains to come unto him? Now let us meditate upon this subject with solemnity, seeing we are to celebrate the Lord's Supper next Sabbath. Let us see how we are disposed, for God will not have us come to him as liars and deceivers. Therefore, let us see if we are disposed to receive God, not as a guest that traveleth by the way, but as him that hath chosen us for his dwelling place forever. Yea, as him that hath dedicated us to himself as his temples that we may be as a house built upon a rock. We must receive God by faith and be made truly one with our Lord Jesus Christ, as I have already shown. And are these things practiced among us? Nay, on the contrary, we seem to despise God and, as it were, put Jesus Christ to flight, that he may no more be acquainted with us. Observe the disorder that is among us. Should I enumerate the difficulties? Where should I make an end? Let everyone open his eyes. It is impossible for us to think of the confusion that reigns among us nowadays without being amazed if we have any fear of God before us. Men flatter and please themselves in their sins and have become as stocks and stones so that in us is fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet, namely, that we have a spirit of drunkenness and a spirit of slumber and can discern nothing. As I have already observed, if we had any fear of God before our eyes, we should be cast down in ourselves and not only be ashamed, but detest such confusion as is seen among us, both in public and private. We see men so far out of the way that one would think they were disposed to lift up themselves against God and do contrary to his will. Thus it seemeth that the word of God serveth to harden men in wickedness, for they seem to be at defiance with him, both in public and private, as I have already observed. We daily hear blasphemies, perjuries, and other contempts of God's name. 
we see that there is disorder among us, that we are so far from honoring God that many act as hypocrites while others withdraw themselves from all order of the church and are worse than the Turks and heathens. As for my part, I may say that I am ashamed to preach the word of God among you, seeing there is so much confusion and disorder manifested. And could I have my wish, I would desire God to take me out of this world. We may boast that we have a reformation among us, and that the gospel is preached to us. But all this is against us, unless we attend to the duty which God hath enjoined upon us. It is long ago that God warned us, and it is to be feared he will speak no more in mercy, but will raise his mighty arm against us in judgment. Therefore, let us take heed to ourselves, for these things are not spoken to stir us up against God, but that we may know our faults and learn to be more and more displeased with ourselves, that we may not become hardened against God. For he calleth us to repentance, and showeth that he is ready to receive us to mercy, if we return and embrace the promises and fear the threatenings contained in his gospel. Those that are in public office ought to be diligent in their duty, that justice may not be violated. Those that are appointed ministers of the word should have a zeal to purge out all filthiness and pollution from among the people. We should so examine and cleanse ourselves that when we receive the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we may be more and more confirmed in his grace that we may be engrafted into his body and be truly made one with him, that all the promises we perceive in the gospel may be better confirmed in us. We must know that he is our life and that we live in him as he dwelleth in us. And thus we know that God owneth and taketh us for his children. Therefore we should be the more earnest to call upon him and trust in his goodness, that he may so govern us by his Holy Spirit, that poor ignorant creatures may through our example be brought into the right way. For we see many at this day who are in the way to destruction. May we attend to what God hath enjoined upon us, that he would be pleased to show his grace not only to one city or a little hand full of people, but that he would reign over all the world, that every one may serve and worship him in spirit and in truth. Chapter 9. The Proper Use of Scripture All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. The word of God being called our spiritual sword, there is need of our being armed with it, for in this world the devil continually fighteth against us, endeavoring to deceive and draw us into sin. Therefore St. Paul saith, the word of God deserveth such reverence that we ought to submit ourselves to it without gainsaying. He likewise informeth us what profit we receive from it, which is another reason why we should embrace it with reverence and obedience. There have been some fantastical men at all times who would wish to bring the Holy Scripture into doubt. 
although they were ashamed to deny that the word of God ought to be received without contradiction. There have always been wicked men who have frankly confessed that the word of God hath such a majesty in it that all the world should bow before it, and yet they continue to blaspheme and speak evil against God. Where is the word of God to be found unless we see it in the law and in the prophets and in the gospel? There it is that God hath set forth his mind to us, to the end, therefore, that men may not excuse themselves. St. Paul plainly showeth us that if we will do homage to God and live in subjection to Him, we must receive that which is contained in the law and the prophets, and that no man might take the liberty to choose what he pleaseth, and so obey God in part. He saith, The whole scripture hath this majesty of which he speaketh, and that it is all profitable. To be short, St. Paul informeth us that we must not pick and call the scripture to please our own fancy, but must receive the whole without exception. Thus we see what St. Paul's meaning is in this place. For when he speaketh of the Holy Scripture, he doth not mean that which he was then writing, neither that of the other apostles and evangelists, but the Old Testament. Thus we perceive that his mind was that the law and the prophets should always be preached in the Church of Christ, for it is a doctrine that must and will remain forever. Therefore those that would have the law laid aside and never spoken of again are not to be regarded. They have made it a common proverb in their synagogues and taverns, saying, We need neither the law nor the prophets any more. And this is as common a thing among them as among the Turks. But St. Paul bridleth the Christian and telleth us that if we will prove our faith and obedience toward God, the law and the prophets must reign over us. We must regulate our lives by them. We must know that it is an abiding and an immortal truth, not flitting nor changeable, for God gave not a temporal doctrine to serve but for a season, for his mind was that it should be in force in these days, and that the world should sooner perish and heaven and earth decay than the authority thereof to fail. Thus we see St. Paul's meaning is that we should suffer ourselves to be governed by the Holy Scripture and seek for wisdom nowhere else. We must observe, as hath already been said, that he giveth us no liberty to choose what we list, but he will have us to be obedient to God in all respects, approving what is contained in the Holy Scripture. Now let us notice the two points which are here set forth. He saith, first, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and then addeth, and is profitable. These remarks St. Paul maketh upon the Holy Scripture to induce us to love it, and to show that it is worthy to be received with great humility. When he saith it is given by the inspiration of God, it is to the end that no mortal man should endeavor to control his almighty power. Shall miserable creatures make war against God, and refuse to accept the Holy Scripture? What is the cause of this? It is not forged by men, saith St. Paul. There is no earthly thing in it. 
whosoever will not show himself a rebel against God and set him at naught, must submit himself to the Holy Scripture. St. Paul addeth in the second place, besides the reverence which we owe to God by doing him homage, we must confess, moreover, that he sought our profit and salvation when it pleased him to teach us by the Holy Scripture. For he will not have us busy ourselves with unprofitable things. Therefore, if we be diligent in reading the Holy Scripture, we shall perceive that there is nothing contained in it but what is good and fit for us, from which we may obtain some benefit. How unthankful we are if we accept not the blessings which God offereth so freely. After St. Paul had magnified the Holy Scripture, showing that the majesty of God appeareth in it, he would also give us some taste that we might come to it with an affection and desire to profit thereby, knowing that it was God's design and the end be aimed at. Let us always remember that the Holy Scripture will never be of any service to us unless we be persuaded that God is the author of it. When we read Moses, or any of the prophets, as the history of mortal men, do we feel a liveliness of the Spirit of God inflaming us? No, no, it is far from it. Therefore, the Holy Scripture will be lifeless and without force until we know it is God that speaketh in it and thereby revealeth his will to man. For St. Paul saith, the Holy Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Pope will boast that all he hath put forth is from God. Thus we see that by using the name of God for a cloak and covering, the world hath been deceived and kept in ignorance from the beginning. For there never was any poison of false doctrine, but that it was put into a golden cup. That is to say, was hid under this honorable title that God spake to man. If we are content to be governed by the will of God, our faith will be rightly sealed, so that we may perceive that it is not the illusion of Satan, neither a fable invented by men. I mean those things contained in the Holy Scripture, which were spoken by God, who is the author of them. Let us consider the infinite goodness of our God, in that it hath pleased him to seal up his truth in our hearts, and cause us to feel the virtue of it, while unbelievers are left in their ignorance to despise the authority of the Holy Scripture. We may gather from what St. Paul saith that there is no authority in the Church of God but what is received from him. If then we admit of a doctrine, it must not be borrowed from the authority or wisdom of men, but we must know that it came from God. This is a notable point, for God will prove thereby whether we be his people or not. He is our king indeed, because we have no laws nor ordinances except from him. Our souls are not guided by chance, for he ruleth over us, and we are subject to his yoke. If this be not the case, we do not show that God governs us, though we make ever so formal pretensions. They are but false shows. St. Paul doth not inform us in order to prove the Holy Scripture to be an undoubted truth that Moses was an excellent man. He doth not say that Isaiah was very eloquent 
he declareth nothing of them whereby he may raise the credit of their persons, but he saith they were instruments in the hands of God. Their tongues were guided by the Holy Ghost. They spake nothing of their own, but it was God that spake by them. We must not consider them as uninspired men, but as servants of the living God, as faithful stewards of the treasures committed to them. If these things had been observed, men would not have come into such horrible confusion as the papists are at this day. For upon what is their faith grounded except upon men? There is nothing but hypocrisy in all their doings. It is true they declare God's name, but in the meantime observe their own ceremonies. But St. Paul requireth us to confine ourselves to the Holy Scripture, because God speaketh there, and not man. Thus we see, he excludeth all human authority. God must have the preeminence above all creatures whatsoever. They must submit themselves to him, and not presume to encroach upon his sovereignty. When we go into the pulpit, we ought to be assured that it is God that sent us, and that we bring the message which he committed to us. Let him that speaketh speak according to the word of God. That is, let him show that he doth not thrust himself in rashly, nor patch up with any of his own works, but that he holdeth forth the truth of God in its purity. He must make his doctrine edifying to the people, that God may be honored thereby. Seeing the doctrine of man is here cast down, let us banish it from the church of Christ, that it may never be admitted again. Therefore, let us beware and keep ourselves steadfast in the simplicity of the gospel. For our Lord hath been so gracious as to reveal his will to us by the law and the prophets. Then let us hold fast that which we have received, and not suffer men to bind our consciences and frame articles of faith for us according to their own notions. St. Paul saith, All Scripture is profitable. Therefore, if the Holy Scripture be profitable, we are very unthankful in not applying ourselves to the study of it. Who is there among us that doth not desire profit and salvation? And where can it be found except in the Holy Scripture? Woe be unto us then, if we hear not the word of God, who seeketh nothing but our happiness. Moreover, we must not read the Holy Scripture in order to support our own notions and favorite sentiments, but submit ourselves unto the doctrine contained therein, agreeably to the whole contents of it, for it is all profitable. When I expound the Holy Scripture, I must always compass myself by it, that those who hear me may be profited by the doctrine held forth and receive edification thereby. If I have not this affection, if I do not edify those that hear me, I commit a sacrilege and profane the word of God. Those also who read the Holy Scripture or come to hear the sermon, if they seek any foolish speculations, if they come hither to recreate themselves, they are guilty of profaning the gospel. If we divert the Holy Scripture from its proper use and seek questions in it without endeavoring to profit by it, we pollute it. 
St. Paul hath taught us that we must come to God with earnest desires, seeing he seeketh nothing but our profit and salvation. He showeth us also that we must not pollute the Holy Scripture to make it serve our own fancy, but knowing it is God's mind that it should be made profitable to us, we must come thither to be taught, yea, and taught in that which will be profitable for our salvation. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.